Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello. Hi, everyone. How are we? I survived my first week back at work. I mean, I guess I survived. Like, I'm physically alive. Did I mentally survive? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's yet to be determined. Anyway, hello. Hi. Uh, what's going on? Teen Mom News, you know, as I've been saying, it's pretty slow. Not really that much is going on. I think if I'm being honest, I definitely care a lot less about Teen Mom stuff in the last like six months. I definitely, I don't know. I Like it's probably growth on my part. I just don't care as nearly as much about like the teen mom fandom and I think that means that I feel like there's less news to report on because I think like stuff I'm cracking my knuckles I'm sorry if you can hear that I just was like mindlessly cracking my knuckles and was like uh I'm fucking recording a podcast like (laughs) I'm on mic anyway I think the issue is that I'm not getting so worked up about a lot of teen mom stuff anymore. It's just like the same shit over and over and over again, which it always has been. I, I do want to clarify that like I am aware that it's always has been. It always has been the same shit over and over again. I think I just am personally caring about it less. So then I'm like, oh, well, nothing happened this week um, because like a few things did happen this week. Janelle had left David. I talked about it last week, right? That There was an incident of David pistol whipping one of Janelle's friends and she left him and she's already back. And like that is, I guess, a big team on news story. But I think my level of care for Janelle going back and forth with David is just very low. So that's going to have to be something that I examine when it comes to feathers in my hair in general. Like if I I've been ignoring this aspect of myself that I'm just getting over Teen Mom. And honestly, like, I'm not that upset about it because I have been doing this. I'm not, this is not me, like, ending the podcast. I'm just openly talking about my feelings on being, like, part of this fandom, if you will. And I mean, I've been doing this podcast for three and a half years. I started this podcast, I think, like, January 3rd. It was the first week in January 2017, and now we're in summer 2020. So, I mean, to talk about only one topic, I think three and a half years is pretty good. Like, it's been a pretty good run. So I'm, I, I don't, like, that really sounds like I'm like, okay, feathers in my hair is over. And that's really not what I'm saying at all. But I actually am pretty proud of myself that I've stuck this out for so long and that I've, like, kept interest for so long. So I don't know, maybe the focus of this will shift a little. We'll see. I just, it's not just that the episodes are boring because Teen Mom has like always been a pretty boring show it like at least since I started doing this podcast like I'm sure if you go listen to like the third episode of Feathers in My Hair I'm like this show's boring because it like it is a pretty boring show for me what was so captivating was the Teen Mom fandom the antics online discussing the people who follow the show discussing the moms and the cast and characters themselves and I think there's obviously like a few things going on that makes it not interested I think one it's like it's not that I'm burnt out. It's such as something in, interests change. Like there are things that I really cared about 10 years ago that I don't care about at all anymore. And I'm definitely starting to feel that way a little bit with Teen Mom stuff. Um, I also think that like the Teen Moms are growing up. <laughs> 
Like, that's just the fact of it, right? Like, they're a lot more boring. Like, so I am, for this episode, going to recap. Of course, did I fucking write down the episode? No, why would I, why would I have written down the episode? You know, like, why would I make things easier for myself? So stupid. I recapped. Let's see. I have it in my email. Season six, episode seven. Um, I actually meant to do season... Oh, wait, it might be season six, episode six. I bought season six, episode seven, and I guess I had previously bought episode six, and so I watched that by accident, and it actually is a very good episode, and I I am excited to talk about it. It will be fun to talk about, but, you know, in this episode, this is season six, we're about to have season 10, I think, Uh, and remember, they do A and B seasons, so like... (laughs) This really is season, like, is 14 of Teen Mom 2 that will, will, I guess, be coming up. That's another thing. We have no news on when Teen Mom 2 will be coming back. Also, I'm just so sad they canceled Teen Mom Young and Pregnant. Or I guess they didn't officially cancel it, but that we are pretty sure it's not coming back. But in this season 6 episode, I watched, like, Janelle was with Nathan. They're breaking up. Leah's, like, at the height of her drug addiction. Chelsea's having, like, real custody issues with Adam still, and Adam is still filming Kayla and Javi are, like, on the brink of divorce. Like, there's just stuff going on that is really interesting. And even if the show itself isn't that interesting, like, all of the shit that's happening creates, like, a lot of interesting uh, social media stuff. But they were also, like, 24 at the time. And now these women are approaching their 30s. And even Kayla, like, who has a ton of drama and she has this shit with Chris and she's always going back and forth with Chris. But I just, it doesn't. I don't know. It's this. I think that here's what it is. <laughs> I think I just stumbled on this. So I think what always made the team mom drama really fun and interesting to me is because they were mostly in their early 20s at like the height of it and like their mid 20s. A lot of the mistakes they were making were new. And so they were like really interesting to follow. And the scandals were really interesting to me. And it was like fresh and crazy drama. And I think what's happening is the girls that had that fresh and crazy drama are maturing you know they're not obviously perfect people who never have any drama but they are maturing and they're learning to keep stuff offline and they're not sharing as much so the ones that are still having drama like let's say kale and janelle um are they're now in that part of their late 20s where they're just making the same mistake over and over and over again they've reached that point of like just like making stupid decisions because you're early you're in your early 20s and now they're at that point where it's like getting I mean a lot of it was always sad and pathetic but I I hope you know what I mean when I say this that the older they get like the more repetitive their drama is because they're just um now it's like character defect mistakes they're making mistakes like based on their like deep-rooted issues And they haven't made any effort to change those deep-rooted issues, so they're just going to start making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And I think this is true not just for me, like, as a teen mom viewer and consuming it, but think, like, I, you know, had friends in my early 20s, (laughs) myself included, that just, like, made these crazy, fucked-up, stupid decisions, and, like, it was fine, it was fine, but then I've fallen away from them in my 30s because they're still making those crazy, fucked-up decisions, and it's, like, draining, And I don't want to be a part of it because it's like, it's too little, too late. You know, like you haven't learned, you haven't changed. We're all moving past that and you're still doing the same stuff over and over again. And boring feels like a mean word to say in that situation. But I think draining is probably the more appropriate word when talking about a friend that just like cannot change. 
And so when it comes to like Janelle repeatedly going back and forth with David, it's like, okay, sure. Okay. Okay. Oh, he pistol whipped someone? Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's what I mean when I like said that the kids getting taken away and the nugget stuff was kind of the height of the drama for me because that was so crazy and so anything else that she does like doesn't lead up to that and anything that would be worse than that is honestly so horrific that I don't even want to put it out in the universe and I never want it to happen and I never want to have to cover it um because if David were to seriously hurt one of those kids or Janelle I would I don't know maybe have to stop doing this podcast I I mean I I think I've said that about other stuff before um the the Amber stuff with Andrew was pretty interesting. I really liked talking about that recently, but that's because we hadn't like, yes, she had done that before, but the level of it and the rest stuff, like that was the first time it happened in quite a while. So it was like new and fresh. Kale and Chris drama, it's like, I mean, she's been going back and forth with Chris for like three or four years now. And it's like, okay, there's just not that much to talk about. Like there's not a lot to talk about when it's the same people doing the same stuff over and over again. And because... The other moms have mostly matured and gotten off social media a lot. Like, they're just not nearly as interesting. Um, That's why I really like the addition of Mackenzie McKee on Team Mom OG. One, because, I mean, I have been, (laughs) I've been pretty closely following her for many years, but I haven't really been talking about her on the podcast because she, you know, she's not on Team Mom. And now that Mackenzie McKee is on, this, like, back and forth with Josh feels a little fresh. And so it's interesting and I don't know. There like there so like I said, there was news. Like Janelle's back with David. Um, I learned that the friend that she was so Janelle had left with a friend because her and David got into a huge fight. And she has this friend Josh, where if I I did an episode on Janelle's side characters that I'm pretty I'm I I mean maybe I didn't, but Josh is Janelle's friend from high school days. He's gay. He's also good friends with Tori. The three of them would always hang out. And Josh and Janelle have been, like, toxic friends for a really long time. Like, I go years without hearing anything about Josh. I am, like, Facebook friends with him because I'm a fucking psycho in, like, 2013. Just was like, sure, I'll... I just, like, added strangers from the Team Mom universe, like, on Facebook in 2013. Like, a maniac. <laughs> and so I, like, see him on Facebook pretty regularly. He, like, never is mentioning Janelle. They go a long time without talking, and then he'll pop back up. And so I guess he had been hanging out with Janelle and David. And in May, he was tweeting, like, David's a good guy. He's not homophobic. You know, I'm gay, so I think I would know if he's homophobic. And I was like, okay, Josh, okay. In the past, he sold stories about Janelle. Like, Janelle would scream at him. Like, they were – he's – he's he hangs out with Janelle, and he has hung out with Janelle for a very long time, which should tell you what you need to know. So Josh and his boyfriend went over to help Janelle move out, I guess. And that's when David pistol whipped the boyfriend in the back of the head. And then I guess the boyfriend like went back after David. And in North Carolina, this is very unique. We've actually seen Janelle do it on the show. A person can go to a magistrate office, which is like the lowest level of court, a magistrate, and press charges on somebody else, which is not a thing, at least in Pennsylvania. I don't know if it's a thing that you can do in other states. Um, I remember being very surprised when I heard that you could do this in North Carolina. My understanding that this is not common in most states. So if somebody hit me, to for, for there to be a criminal case against them, I would have to go to 
Um, I would have to go to the police office, right? The police office. The police... Why can't I think of that word? The police building. There's a word for it that I can't fucking think of. But I would have to go to the police. I would have to file the police report. And then the police... Uh, and if it's like a bigger case, sometimes the ADA, like the district attorney's office, they then decide if charges will be pressed. Um, all I can do is say, I want to make a police report and I would like you to press charges. Um, and if they say no, there's nothing else that I can really do about it in the criminal courts. Of course, there are times where the victim is able to kind of say, I don't want to press charges. And that is more when a victim says to the police, like, let's say the police show up at a domestic violence scene, right? And the victim is like, no, 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 I don't want to press charges. They're not actually saying, like, I'm not pressing charges because a a victim doesn't press charges, uh, at least in most states. What they're saying is, like, I will not be cooperating with your case. Now, there's been a movement and it has its pros and its cons where the police and the state, the district attorney, will then go on to press charges in a domestic violence case even without the victim cooperating uh, because they because so many cases like never get justice because the victim doesn't want to cooperate and then abusers don't face consequences for their actions Uh, but for the most part like if you are get into contact with police you're a victim and you say like i don't want to press charges it's not like you're really in charge of the pressing charges. What you're communicating with the police is like, well, I'm not going to cooperate with your investigation and I will not be testifying against this person. So then it makes a case very hard to win. And so usually the police just don't bother following through with it. But in North Carolina, you can go to the magistrate's office and be like, I want to press charges against them. And then an investigation happens. I'm a little unclear of like, when and how the police decide to get involved. But I guess what happened here is that kid, the guy that was uh, pistol whipped by David. By the way, did I explain this last week? Because I saw some people on Reddit saying they didn't know what pistol whipping was because they didn't live in America. And to pistol whip someone is to like hit them usually in the face. Um, The back of the head is not as common. Usually it's something you do in the face with like the butt of the gun. Um, A gun is very I mean very heavy feels like a dramatic but a gun is you know a solid piece of metal that has weight to it so if you hit someone in the face especially like in somebody's jaw or their eye like the orbital socket with the butt of a gun like that you can really fuck somebody up it's like almost like hitting them with a bat like you can really fucking hurt somebody by pistol whipping them it's definitely a thing (laughs) it's a really and it's really violent and really really fucked up so david does it in the back of this guy's head i guess there's some sort of altercation obviously and so the david then went and also pressed charges against this against the guy that he hit So now there's, like, dueling criminal cases going on. By the way, apparently in North Carolina, pistol whipping someone, as long as you're not trying to kill them, is only a misdemeanor, which is crazy. That's that's really... I feel like if you hit someone with an object, that should be an automatic felony. Like, as soon as I'm going after somebody with an object that gives me more, um, more potential to very very much harm them as opposed to just a fist like that I don't understand how that doesn't make for a felony charge 
I don't get it. By the way, isn't it so funny that I have a degree in criminal justice? I don't do anything with it except that I have like a pretty complex understanding of the justice system to explain things on my Teen Mom podcast. So where was I? So yeah, so Josh and this guy, I actually don't even really know what his name is. Um, I've just been seeing him be called like my partner and they're not posting his name on Reddit because he's never on the show. Reddit usually has these rules where like if you were never on the show, we don't like they don't use your name or like your screen names. Um, But so Janelle and Janelle left with them and was staying with Josh with the kids, I guess. Was saying somewhere. And now Janelle's already back with David. It lasted less than a week. I don't know why anybody's surprised. This is what they're going to do. This is what Janelle does with all of her ex-boyfriends. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This is what she's going to continue to do with her new boyfriends. Um, yeah, and that's that's what happened with Janelle. And then there's another story that I feel like I've really let down my listening audience. Because I posted yesterday on my Facebook, Feathers underscore pod, about this person and a lot of people in the comments didn't know who she was. And I thought to myself, what? Do I, like, so it's about Nicole Pollan from 16 and Pregnant. Her handles are Nicole MTV, if you know her. I think Nicole is far and away the most well-known 16 and Pregnant cast member that did not make it on to Teen Mom. I think they wanted her for Team Mom, but she was, Nicole was really young when she had her baby Lyle. I think she may have been 15. Um, she was like really young, like a true 16 and pregnant episode. And so I think with um, labor laws where she lived, it would have been too hard. Janelle has tweeted about this before, that that's why Nicole didn't get on Teen Mom 2 because it just would have been too hard to film her. Um, like as much as they needed filming for her to be a cast member of Team Mom 2. But Nicole, you know, had her 16 pregnant episode. In her 16 pregnant episode is actually pretty normal. She had a really, really terrible baby daddy named Josh. Really awful. And Nicole kind of always managed to keep herself in the Team Mom fandom news. And by that, I mean, like, she got articles written about her on wet paint. <laughs> so she's not in real news. But I guess I thought, like, I talk about Nicole all the time because, to me, Nicole Pollan is, like, always, re- like, relevant. Like, I don't know. I, like, I really was like, do I not talk about Nicole that much? I know I did an episode. I actually went back and looked. Tomlin and I did an episode. Um, It's, like, the New Year's, I think it was released maybe on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve 2017. So I think it's December 2017. I believe it's episode 50. And the whole thing is on there. And I highly suggest that you go listen to it if you don't know anything about Nicole. Nicole is extremely notorious or infamous because when she... (laughs) Okay, so she had her baby Lyle. Obviously, her and Josh break up. Josh has been in and out of prison for years. He has, according to her, some like very serious mental health issues that really impact his life. And he's very violent and scary. So at one point, a little bit after that, this is probably 2013, I think. This is 2013-ish. Nicole was telling everybody that she was pregnant. She was pregnant by this guy that had broken up with her and already already had a new girlfriend. Okay. So then Nicole is suddenly, like, no longer pregnant. 
and she pops up at a mute there are pictures of her pop up of like at a music festival and she's in a bikini she's wearing like a light yellow bikini she very clearly is not five days postpartum because she supposedly had had this baby and then all of a sudden she's like at music festivals in a bikini like a camping music festival and everyone's like wait what what huh like we thought nicole was pregnant and had her baby then nicole comes out and says that she had the baby i believe the baby she said the baby's name was ashton and the baby had died. The baby was stillborn. And people were like, whoa, what? And they were still like, but how, if you had a stillborn baby, how, like, because if you have a stillbirth, like, you have to, del- it's absolutely horrible and the saddest thing on earth, but you have to deliver a baby. Like, you go through the full process of childbirth um, when you have a full-term stillbirth. So people were like, but how are you like in a a light colored bikini it might have even been white in my head in the picture she's wearing like a light light yellow but it may have been a white bikini how are you wearing a bikini five days after and like aren't you upset like why are you in a music festival so nicole leans into this and everyone's like we think like you're lying nicole's like i'm not lying i'm not lying she starts releasing um like medical records she released a hospital bracelet she put up more sonograms and she even posted this bear like an an in memoriam bear where they put okay i guess you get your the the your loved one's ashes and they put them in the bear i don't know like how they put them in the bear or where they put them but i have like my friend christina that died um almost and when did she die? Like a year and a half ago. I have this little, um, like tree stump thing. It's very little. Well, it's not very little, but it's like a branch, a piece of a tree, if you will. And on the top, it says her name and her date of death and her, her date of birth and her date of death. Then inside of it are her ashes, like placed on a little bag, I think. I've never opened it up and actually looked at what they look like. Um, so I would imagine they're just like in a little bag inside this bear. And she's like, this is my baby's ashes bear and how dare any of you question me she sells the story of the stillbirth to radar online radar online is posting a bunch about this becomes huge teen mom fandom news and then you know people just keep being like this doesn't make sense this doesn't make sense you don't look postpartum you're not acting like you've just lost a baby like this is so bizarre And finally, uh, people like were looking at the ultrasound and at the medical stuff she posted and were like, we're pretty sure that all of these bills are for when she had Lyle, her first baby. Um, Then the baby, the supposed baby's dad's girlfriend, because like I said, this guy had left Nicole for her girlfriend came out and was like, we don't really believe she was ever pregnant. We've been you know, this whole pregnancy, trying to ask for proof. He's been trying to go to doctor's visits with her. She's just been shutting him down. The only thing she'll send us is, like, pictures of her bump and clothes, but she's not basically being like, we've had questions this whole time. We don't think there was ever really a baby. Then um, her best, Nicole's best friend came out and basically admitted that she had helped Nicole fake this pregnancy. I guess they had ordered, I think they had ordered a baby bump on eBay or like a fake baby bump and they would take pictures or she would go to like maternity stores with those little try on bumps and take pictures and that she had doctored all of these hospital bills from when she had Lyle to make it look like she had had this baby 
And once the friend came out admitting, like, I had helped her do this, um, it was basically like, okay, so Nicole faked a stillbirth. That's, like, the most, one of the most evil things that you can do. Uh, Oh, also, this mattered a lot to me because around that time, my, I don't, that might have been 2012. So, but, like, within this time frame, within, I think, a year of this happening, my um, ex-boyfriend who was with for a lot of years, his sister had had a stillbirth when she was like eight and a half months pregnant. And it was the most devastating thing in the world. I'll never forget. I was like getting ready for work and I was brushing my teeth and he was on the phone and he hung up the phone. I turned around. I was like, what's up? And he's like, my sister just lost the baby. And I was like, what? And he's like, the baby's dead. And I was like, huh? Like I, I couldn't even process it. I was like, what do you mean? Um, they had already had two children. It was a third. They had a boy and a girl. And I remember they were like waiting to find out the sex because it was going to be this big surprise because they already had one of each. And, oh, it was just so, it was so, it was so upsetting. It was awful. She had to labor for like 24 hours. It was, oh, it was so fucking sad. It was so, so, so sad. And so I remember feeling like extra personally offended by this because I was somebody that I really cared about had just experienced a full-term um, stillbirth that they, like, had no idea why. Like, one day she just stopped feeling the baby moving, so she went into her doctor and the baby was dead. Um, so that was really awful, and I just remember feeling so angry at Nicole because it's like, how dare you? Like, how dare you? Um, then Nicole got money from the, these radar stories because she was selling the stories and got a boob job with the money. And at one point, somebody had tweeted her something like, like, you, you, you faked a stillbirth and used the money to get a boob job, basically. And she definitely used this money because Nicole is, comes from a really, um, like, a not well-off family. She is always tweeting about how she's broke. She's a single mom, like, she, or she was a single mom. She, she's really... She's not well off. So if she was able to get a boob job, it's from these, like, lump sum payments she was getting from Radar Online. And so somebody tweeted her, like, you faked a stillbirth and used the money to get a boob job. And she retweeted it and was like, you would too. Or, like, you wish you could have. Basically, this was, like, a year and a half later, and that was her kind of confirming that it never happened. But that's the most direct confirmation that she had ever done. It was disgusting. It was awful. I'm just looking at the time. Okay, so I'm going to get into what happened now, just right after a quick break. Okay, so in the ensuing years, Nicole has tried her very best to stay relevant. That bitch still has Nicole MTV and all her handles. (laughs) She did post so many Snapchat story views she gets, and it's a lot. Like, I think she does have, like, a decent amount of followers engagement, I think. She's, um gone viral a couple times for being like a super mom like so she went on to have another baby I think the baby's name is Elle uh with another abusive guy that's not in the picture as far as I understand and after Elle was born she posted this video that was like I was a partier and then everything changed when I got pregnant with my daughter and it's like haha that's funny because like you actually already had a son and like your mom had to have custody of him when you were doing all of this so like that's great that your daughter changed your life but also this is like a weird thing to post and also you like didn't include that you faked a stillbirth in this it went super super viral um like I said she had kind of she had I believe her mom had guardianship of her son for a while and I don't know if she still does 
my impression is that Nicole has him most of the time. I just don't know, like, who legally is custody of Lyle. Uh, she also went viral because she posted this thing on Facebook, a picture of her and Lyle out to dinner, and she said she makes... <sighs> She makes Lyle take her out on dates. He does chores throughout the week, and then he uses the money to bring her on dates so that he can learn how to treat women well, which, like, I don't know. But she tries really hard to go viral as, like, this super mom. Uh, Then she gets this new boyfriend. They've been together, I think, for about a year or two. And she, well, she posted that she was engaged. And so I was like, "Mm, okay, good for you, Nicole. And then somebody on Reddit happened to see her in a, like, January 2020, like, expecting mom's baby bump group and was like, oh, shit, Nicole's pregnant. Like, look, she's in my baby mom group. (laughs) But she hadn't publicly said anything yet. And then yesterday she posted, hold on, I'm, um... Let me get the exact post. So she posted a picture that is clearly a pregnancy announcement there. She and her boyfriend or fiance are at the beach. He's like standing looking at the ocean. He's holding her up and she's standing. She's staring at the camera. He has a hat on backwards that says dad. So you see like the back of him and the word dad. And then she's like grinning at the camera holding an ultrasound picture. The beach is in the background. It's actually like a a cute way to announce a pregnancy. So she wrote in the caption We were so excited to announce that we were having a baby, but unfortunately we found out it no longer has a heartbeat. Please keep us in your prayers. If you've had a missed, if you've had a missed miscarriage in a DNC, I'd love to talk to some people who've gone on to have a successful pregnancy. I'm so, I'm so heartbroken and scared for the future with a heartbreak emoji. Uh, She turned off comments, which she said in her stories later was because she was, she knew that people would look at the picture and not read the caption and she didn't want anybody congratulating them. Um, I think she turned off comments because she knows she's going to get ripped apart for this because Nicole absolutely faked a stillbirth. And I guess she's done pretending that that ever happened. Um, To me, she's very much confirming that this is her first pregnancy loss. If she says, I'd love to talk to somebody who had a miscarriage because or anybody that's had um, like a successful pregnancy after loss, because according to Nicole's timeline, she's already done that. She had her daughter Ellie after her supposed stillbirth. (laughs) Um, so yeah, she's obviously getting ripped apart. I posted this picture and everyone was like, who? And I was like, Nicole, Nicole of the fake stillbirth. (laughs) I feel like I was like, I feel disappointed in myself for obviously not educating you all on this extremely important subject. You guys know I have the elephant brain for remembering all bad things that everybody has ever done. And this is one of my main ones. (laughs) Oh, she's not even trying. I also, like, not even trying to pretend. I also, look, I'm going to say this. I saw some comments that were, like, context aside, you know, like, let if I'm not talking about Nicole, I'm not going to judge how somebody announces a pregnancy or grieves. This is something I see online a lot, and I just want to tackle this for a moment. I'm not sure how we as a society decided that there are certain things that we're absolutely not allowed to judge when that person is openly posting about it on social media and not just on social media, but on their branded social media in which they make money off of. I think it's very bizarre, this idea that Nicole, who absolutely makes money via social media, she does spawn con, she has brand deals. I mean, I don't think she's making enough to live off of, but she makes money on her Instagram. Let's say Nicole didn't have a history of faking stillbirth and she just posted this smiling picture of her announcing the baby and then was also announcing a miscarriage. Why can we not judge that? Why? 
she's the one that's posting it on her social media. I feel like if you post something on your social media for your hundreds of thousands of followers, I'm actually not sure how many followers she has. Well, let me see. Um, Nicole MTV, let's see. She has 132,000 followers, and she gets decent engagement. She, you know, on her engagement picture, she got... 15,000 or 14,000 likes. Normally she's around like five to 9,000 likes, which is a decent amount of engagement is what I'm saying. And I just think that it doesn't make sense that if people are posting things online, it's not our place to judge. I think that if you don't want to be judged by something, like you don't need to put it on social media. Not everything has to go on social media. I'm not saying somebody should, like, suffer in silence because they don't want to be judged. But I I think this idea that, like, if you experience something bad, nobody's ever allowed to judge anything you do on social media because something bad also happened. I think it's really weird. This is talked about a lot um, on Reddit, on Blog Snark, which is a sub that I like to read, where people aren't allowed to grief shame. And this particularly came up, I don't even know what happened. I think a blogger had dealt with their child dying, which is obviously horrifically sad, but had chose to, like, put hundreds of Instagram stories and posts up about it. And people are like, don't judge her. And it's like, okay, but, like, she posted hundreds of Instagram stories. Like, it is a natural thing that we as humans are going to judge what you are choosing to share on social media. And I think it's okay to, like, look at a pregnancy or a miscarriage announcement that involves, like, a huge smile and an ultrasound picture and, like, what would be your pregnancy announcement and be like, oh, I wouldn't do that. That's kind of weird. Like, you don't need to go on her post and say it, but I don't see, like, I don't know. I guess I just don't understand, like, why this idea that certain things are totally off limit from comment when they're being openly shared on your branded social media. Now, do I think you should, like, beat them up over it and like take them to task and like I said go on their page and be like you're a fucking asshole um how dare you post that like no I don't but I do I do want to push back at this um mentality that I see popping up where somebody will judge something and other people push back and be like don't judge that it's like well no because we as humans need to judge um we as humans need to be critical with what we're consuming as I'm always talking about and I think there's a fine line between being a total fucking asshole about it and being like that's weird I wouldn't do that I don't really agree with them doing that I think it's okay that like I think it's okay for somebody to be like that I don't really understand that post and it makes me uncomfortable I just do especially I think it's also different like if it's somebody you know or somebody who just has a private page and they're just announcing it to their 300 followers and somebody who this is um part of their business. I also think that's kind of part of the disconnect. It's like if you are an influencer and this is your livelihood, I think everything that you put online as an influencer is open to be judged. Just like everything I put on this podcast is open to be judged. It'd be like if I put out this podcast and like somebody, you know, I can feel hurt that somebody's judging me for it and I can be like that's not fair and I can be like they're wrong, but the reality is is that I can't put out content and expect that nobody gets to be critical of me. And I can be like, "Well, you don't get to judge me." And it's like, "Well, they do because I'm putting out content for them to consume and they're consuming it." And that's how content works. And that's how like putting out content on your branded 
platform works. And that's how using a platform works, is that people can judge and be critical of what you're doing. Um, So like I said, I think if you don't have a problem with what Nicole posted, like context aside, obviously, like that's fine. And and if you don't feel comfortable judging that, like I I totally get that. And I, I do think there is absolutely a fine line between being an asshole and being like so hypercritical and also just like discussing branded content that's put out in the world for us to consume. And I really do think that we've, um, as a society, and I would include myself in this, have forgotten that if we don't want people's opinions, we don't have to put it online. And that there are, like, are plenty of things that we don't have to put online or even tell anybody about, and then we never have to hear their opinions on it. And that I'm not saying that to say, like, if you have a miscarriage, you shouldn't tell anybody and you should live in shame. Like, that's, I hope that's not how I'm coming across. I'm coming across as this idea that we attack other people for daring to judge kind of controversial content. Um, but, but my opinion is, and my stance is, is that like this is an influencer's job and this is like an influencer's very public platform and they're asking you to consume their content and you can't ask people to consume your content and also ask people to not be critical or have any judgment about your content. I hope that makes sense. I, I like it's probably harsh and I think a lot of people won't agree with me on that and that like that that's fine. And I can I can understand why people wouldn't agree with it. I do think what I just said is pretty controversial. And I am fine with that. I am fine with saying things that are occasionally controversial when I think that they no, this didn't need to be said. But when I want to say them on my platform, and like I said, it's I can't put out stuff and expect people not to to ever have feelings on it. Like I can give that whole rant and be like, well, you can't judge me because this is my opinion. <laughs> That's my opinion. Oh, God. Okay. Should we talk about this episode that I watched? I actually, I need to take a little break and eat some food. I didn't eat food before I did this. Now I'm like fucking starving. So I'm going to eat some food and then I'm going to come back and we are going to talk about Team Mom 2, season six, episode six, um, which is called, I actually have it in my phone. I had to ask because usually I only have these old episodes bought if I recapped them. But then I remembered I probably had this episode bought because I did an episode way back when, I think in summer, based on where I remember recording that. And so based on where I recorded, it must have been summer 2018 with my friend Aaron. And we talked about Javi and Kale's relationship. We watched like a bunch of episodes over a few seasons to not necessarily recap them, but give us context to them. So that I think that's when I bought this because this is definitely a heavy Kale and Javi episode. Um, but I had to like post on my Instagram stories. I was like, did I recap this? <laughs> because I just took notes on it and I realized it's not the episode that I like was I meant to take notes on. I'm going to be really pissed if I already recapped it and then can't recap it again. <laughs> yes, it's episode six of season six and it's called Walk Out. Um, it was good and I'm excited to talk about it after I get some food in my stomach so I don't pass out while doing this. Okay, let's get to it. Okay. I feel great. (laughs) I ate some Armenian string cheese, some pretzels, drank some water, and I am ready to talk about this throwback episode. I don't even know where to start. I guess I'll start with Chelsea. You know, it's the four girl format. I don't miss the four girl format. I think I actually like the four mom format. I will say I wish on Team Mom Young and Pregnant 
they had gone for four. My friend Billy mentioned this once. He said, when there are four moms, you get a lot more backstory. And when there are five moms, sometimes they, we just don't like get these little details that we get in the four mom format um, because there's just not enough time. But in general, I am pleased with the five mom format. I do wonder if they're going to bring in somebody else for, um, wait, who's on Team Mom OG right now? Mackenzie, Macy, Amber, Cheyenne. Is there one more? Are there four or five on? I don't know. I can't remember. Is there four? Do one of these shows only have four girls? <laughs> I can't. My brain is so fried from Team Mom stuff. Um. Anyway, I do like the five girl, girl format, but there is something special about watching a Team Mom, epi- Team Mom 2 episode that's just... Janelle, Leah, Kale, and Chelsea. Like, I really like Brie. You guys know, like, thank God for Jade. Jade is essentially saving this show. But there is something special about this all, right? And I do enjoy to watch these old episodes that feature the four of them. Um, Chelsea's episode, the thing I found really interesting is how she talks about Taylor. <laughs> and that's what I want to talk about with this. So Chelsea in this episode, it's when she was going back to court with Adam and Adam was asking for more parenting time. And if you'll remember, Chelsea had teamed up with Taylor and they got one lawyer to like basically fight their cases like a duo. <laughs> Rewatching these, I remember at the time watching that and thinking, that's a great idea. They really should team up against Adam. Rewatching that, I was like, why the fuck would the lawyer agree to do this? I thought that was very weird. It Okay, here's the thing about a lawyer. (laughs) A lawyer is supposed to fight in the best interest of their client. And while Chelsea and Taylor, when they went to meet this guy, had the same interests, so theoretically, the best interest of Chelsea is also the best interest of Taylor, this is family court, which family court is very divisive. Family court opinions change, hearts change. Family court is really... Um, I can't think of the word, but very up and down, very uh, things go back and forth because the reality is it like it's a matter of the heart, right? Like that sounds so cheesy. <laughs> so cheesy, but it is. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of what anything can change based on like what the two parties that are going against one another feel and love is involved, and children are involved, and histories are involved. It's very, very emotional, family court. So the idea that this lawyer who looks like uh, Colonel Sanders would take on both cases, to me, seems really irresponsible, if not, <laughs> if not downright, like, I wouldn't say malpractice, but like negligent, uh, because you don't know, like, how these women's ideas of what they want are going to change. So what if suddenly Chelsea or Taylor came in to the lawyer and was like, actually, I want Adam to have 50-50 custody uh, because I think he's a really good dad and I want to testify for him in the case with Chelsea and testify that he deserves 50-50 of Aubrey. Because that could happen, especially in the case in a case that involves an abuser. I just, what would the lawyer have done? The lawyer couldn't be like, okay, well, I'll definitely do that. And uh, I think that's a good idea that you testify for Adam because that would be hurting Chelsea, his other client. I just like I like I said, I remember at the time being like, that's so smart. But now watching it and being like, 
yikes, that was really not a good idea of his her lawyer, like, to take them both on as clients. But this episode starts with Adam and Taylor already having court, and she meets with the lawyer to see how that impacts her. And the lawyer uh, basically says that Adam had, tes- had testified under oath that Chelsea allows him to take Aubrey unsupervised. Or, like, I think what he said was Adam basically was like, well... I'm imagining the lawyer asked, like, do you take Aubrey unsupervised even though you're not supposed to according to your parenting plan? And he said, yeah, but that's fine because Chelsea knows about it and Chelsea's okay with it, which Chelsea absolutely isn't. If you guys will remember, a big point of contention for both Taylor and Chelsea at this time is that Adam was supposed to have supervised visits, but um, Adam's parent, the, the, what is their last name? The Lins. <laughs> I was like, Deborah Huska? No, the Lins. The Lins would let Adam take Aubrey and Paisley unsupervised. So they were asking for a much more strict visitation uh, supervision because they were worried about Adam having the kids by himself because he had been doing it. So Adam just lied under oath, which should surprise no one. And Chelsea's like, uh, uh, how can he even say that? <laughs> The lawyer does say that Adam's big point in this case is that Paisley and Aubrey need to be spending time together and the best way for Paisley and Aubrey to get a relationship is through him and having time together on the weekends, which like, yes, I like I, I agree with that in theory. And if Adam was a healthy parent, like that would be the best way for his daughters to have a relationship. But that's not the fact because Adam is a dangerous person who cannot be alone with his kids. The lawyer does advise that Chelsea and Taylor should be having play dates, uh, which I think one morally is a good idea. You guys know that I feel like Chelsea and Taylor should make more of an effort to have those kids in each other's lives. I know, uh, Paisley has since been adopted, so that does complicate things and change things a little bit, and I I do get that, and I do understand if I'm Taylor, look, if I was Taylor and I was able to get my abusive ex's rights terminated and get my husband, my loving husband, who I have a beautiful family with, to adopt my child... I probably, in my emotional mind, like in the part of my brain where my emotions live, I wouldn't want anything to do with anything that involves the lens. Those aren't her grandparents anymore. That's not her dad anymore. That's not her sister anymore. I don't want anything to do with it. But I think the more rational side of me would still want to facilitate a relationship, at least with Aubrey and Paisley. Because that they are sisters. And when Paisley grows up and she says, well, what about my biological sister? Don't you as a parent want to say that you did everything that you could? And I feel that same way about Chelsea. Chelsea in this episode says, well, it's not fair because I'm not the one that made more kids. And now I have to go out of my way to facilitate this relationship. And she didn't say facilitate. <laughs> Sorry, Chels. She didn't say facilitate. And I do get that. And I do agree with that in and once it, like a lot of things that get discussed in Team Mom, in my opinion, it's like we're talking about what's fair, but we shouldn't be talking about what's fair because fairness doesn't really apply when it comes to, like the emotions and the well being of children often. And so, yeah, it's not fair that Taylor and Chelsea have to go out of their way to have um, have each other in 
have their kids in each other's lives and that should be up to Adam. There's one more point I want to make about Taylor before I forget it is that uh, the thing that makes me a little less sympathetic to Taylor is that she chose to have a baby with a man that she knew had another child. At least Chelsea, you know, Chelsea wasn't signing up for half siblings, but Taylor was like knowingly giving her child a half sibling when the child was born. So to then be like, well, you know, she's adopted now. Like we don't really have to get them together, which is kind of what I think is happening. It seems to be what's happening in current day. I think that that is shitty. I I honestly, I think Taylor and Chelsea in 2020 are both relieved that the other one doesn't really seem too interested in facilitating a relationship between the two girls. So they don't even have to like pretend to be doing that. But back to what's fair, what's not. It's not about fairness because none of this is fair because Adam's a fucking dickhead loser, awful, abusive person. And you like part, I feel like a big part of being a parent is just doing stuff that's not fair to you. Like that's what you get when, when you sign up to be a parent, you're like agreeing to do a million things that aren't fair, right? Like you're agreeing to a ton of responsibilities that you're agreeing to do regardless of if it's fair to you or not, especially if you are having a baby. I'm having deja vu. I know I talked about this recently, especially if you're having a baby in a situation where you are in a pretty unstable relationship situation. Even, But even if you're married and you think you have like this amazing partner and it's the best thing that's ever happened to you, like shit still can happen and change. But especially if you're in a situation like Chelsea and you're 17 and you have a a baby with your boyfriend that cheats on you all the time like it's not about what's fair it's about what's right and what is right is for Aubrey and Paisley to get to be in each other's lives especially for Aubrey's sake because Aubrey was you know old enough to really know Paisley and she really loved Paisley and she used to talk about Paisley all the time and ask about Paisley all the time and I don't think that like Watson and Lane being born just like erased Paisley from her memory and her heart And I do think that Taylor and Chelsea will both have to answer, or I think it's a possibility that they'll have to answer to their kids when their kids get a little older and can ask more questions. And what I think will not suffice is saying, well, that was your dad's job. You know, like kids, teens, adults even that are talking to their parents, like you never want to hear from your parent, like, well, that wasn't my job. So like, I didn't do that. And your dad was supposed to do that and he didn't. So sorry, Like, that's not going to make anybody's feelings feel better, especially if you're a child that is already feeling like probably or working through, possibly working through some major abandonment issues with your dad. I mean, who knows? Maybe neither Paisley or Aubrey will have any issues whatsoever in regards to Adam. I find that pretty unlikely, but it's possible, right? But if they're already, if they do get those issues and they're already feeling abandoned by their dad and then their mom is and they're like well how come you didn't make it so that I was close to my sister their mom's like that was your dad's job that would hurt I feel like that would really hurt so in this episode Chelsea's just talking about how sick she feels even thinking about Aubrey being alone with Adam and I I definitely can understand and agree with that so Chelsea sets up a play date with Taylor because the lawyer advised them to and but before they go Chelsea Grace comes over and Chelsea's like I heard from a friend that Taylor and Adam are talking again. And Chelsea is just, like, so defeated. And like I said, this is why you shouldn't be sharing a lawyer. I totally understand Chelsea's anger and frustration here. She really thought that she and Taylor were, like, on one team against Adam. But I think that that is 
like Chelsea's immaturity probably coming out to play and also Chelsea's I think in general something I've noticed about Chelsea is that she has a hard time with empathy she doesn't seem like an overly empathetic person she doesn't seem like somebody who is able to really extend a lot of grace to the people in her life um at least like that the reality is, is that we see a very limited amount of Chelsea's life on screen but I just feel like this is something that I've always kind of noticed I feel like she was this way with Megan um Chelsea Grace never bucks to her so we don't see that she's like this with her mom she just really seems to be a type of person who like I think it's a self-centered thing that like if you're not like exactly orbiting around Chelsea then she has an issue with it um I hope she's grown out of it a lot more but it, I think that's definitely something that plagued her. And it's especially frustrating because Chelsea, for so many years, was in so, such a toxic situation and expected all of her friends and family to just bend to that and accept her for the decision she was making. And then when other people make choices that she doesn't like, she doesn't seem to be able to extend to them the same grace. And I definitely find that to be like frustrating to watch as a viewer. And it would probably frustrate me as a friend. We get a scene of Adam basically bragging about how well things have gone with Taylor and that he thinks there's no way possible that he's leaving the courthouse with less custody than he already has. His friend is just sitting there like, ooh, God, I forgot. Every time I see Adam on screen in these throwbacks, I'm like, ooh, I I think the best thing Adam could have possibly done for his self-image is to leave this show because even though I know he's a very bad person, sometimes when they're talking about him, I'm like, how bad could Adam be? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, he is really bad. But he definitely is gets benefit from, like, the out of sight, out of mind of it all. Because hearing him talk about, like, how evil Chelsea is, ooh, ooh, so bad. Oh, also, Chelsea's already with Cole in this episode and says that she and Cole want to have three kids, which I assume means three more kids after Aubrey and I do think that Chelsea will be having one more kid. It seems kind of crazy to me because she seems really overwhelmed with Watson and Lane being so young and close together in ages. But if that's what she wants to do, I mean, I guess I guess go for it, girlfriend. I bet she wants to have another boy would be my guess. I mean, it would be nice, I guess, to have two girls and two boys if you have four kids. Like, that'd be a nice little mix of kids. But I can't. It's not that I can't imagine having that many kids. I can't imagine if I'm having such troubles with anxiety and especially postpartum anxiety. Um, regard like, And it makes my life really hard and things are pretty unmanageable as far as like being able to leave my house. I'm not sure that adding another baby is going to fix anything. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the solution. Um, okay, so Taylor and Chelsea go and meet up. And basically, Chelsea is really mad at Taylor, and you can tell she's really annoyed with Taylor. And Taylor's like, well, you know, Adam and I decided to, like, talk, and we settled on an agreement, and, like, the judge has to agree to it. But, yeah, we just, like, made this agreement. And Chelsea, I mean, Chelsea's not wrong here. She's like, Adam is a manipulator. Like, I went through the same exact thing. Obviously, Chelsea's very annoyed because she thought that Taylor was on her side with this all, but... I think what Chelsea is forgetting that Adam is a manipulator and as long as she was talking to Adam, Adam got to like run all over Chelsea and do whatever he wanted to her and that's kind of what's going on with Taylor and it's kind of shitty of Chelsea to be mad at Taylor for doing the same exact thing that she did for years 
You know, like she did this for years. <laughs> the only reason she really stopped is because Cole came into the picture. And I do get that it's frustrating. But once again, you know, this is why sharing the lawyer was not a good idea. And thinking of their cases is like one case. And thinking of things that Taylor does is like hurting Chelsea's custody case. I just don't think is very productive. And I think that Chelsea set herself up for disappointment. Because I think the only reason that... I think Chelsea likes Taylor when Taylor wants to kowtow to Chelsea. And when Chelsea, when Taylor doesn't want to, uh, Chelsea doesn't like her. <laughs> I also think that that's probably part of the reason that they don't really get the girls together. Because I don't think they like each other. Which, like, f- you know, fair enough, honestly. Like, I don't... Especially with the girls being so young. Like, it's not like... I mean, I guess Aubrey... I guess... Chelsea could just drop Aubrey off for a play date or Taylor could just drop Paisley off for a play date, especially drop Paisley off because she has, you know, Paisley's not that far in age from Watson. I think Paisley is five and Watson's three. Like Paisley's young. Uh, Maybe she's six or seven, actually. But they don't have to necessarily hang out. But I think kind of the way they've established these play dates is that they all get together and hang out. And I think that definitely, like, they don't like to do that very much. <laughs> Which I can imagine is real fucking annoying when you have to go hang out with some bitch that you don't really like because she's your sis- she's your child's sister's mother. <laughs> I can see that as frustrating. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Kale. So this is Kale and Javi. It's the episode post the California trip. If you'll remember, Kale went to California with her friend Sterling and Sterling's mom and like a group of girls and Javi flipped the fuck out, spent the whole time calling her and blowing up her phone, like honestly ruined the trip. Well, okay. It's not just Javi that ruined the trip. It's kind of easy to be like, and Javi ruined the trip. But it's not just Javi that ruined the trip. That's not a fair assessment of the situation, in my opinion. Like, Because Kale was an active participant in this. You know, Sterling is begging her, like, please turn off your phone. Just, like, stop answering him. Like, can we just have a nice time? And Kale, like, was refusing to disengage. And I understood why Kale was basically saying, like, this is my husband. I understand that you want me to just ignore him, but I have to go to home to him. I'm the one that has to deal with him. And I think... Kind of what she's saying is, like, I have to deal with the consequences of ignoring him, and I can either, like, let him flip out at me now, or it'll be even worse when I get home. I don't mean that in, like, in a, like, Javi's abusing her way, but I think that this is what they've established is, like, their relationship dynamic, and Kale isn't sure how to part from that. And I think that that's definitely real and relatable, but at the same time, Kale was the one on a trip, and she was the one that was actively choosing the dynamic with Javi over her friend and her friend's family who had planned a really nice trip for them. So they're all supposed to be going to Florida in about a month, uh, all as in a bunch of their friends and family. I do vaguely remember this Florida trip. I think it's this one because they end up, Javi does like, it's in Orlando and they do a paid appearance and they rent a big house. I don't know why I remember this. It might have been Javi's 21st birthday. Would that make sense? How old are they in this episode? No, that's probably not that. But I do remember this Florida trip happening like in real time. And Sterling is supposed to go. And this is a point of contention because Kale, well, Kale's just really bad at managing relationships, I think. Not just, obviously. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just said something really deep, guys, which is Kale's bad at managing relationships. Can you believe that I had such a startling and original opinion? <laughs> what I mean to say is that Kale, so a smart person would have this huge fight with Javi and come home and be like, you really, like, I didn't have a good time and you calling all the time, you know, upset. I don't know. I think she came home and was like, Sterling hates you. Like, Sterling and her mom hate you for how you acted. And then we hear, like, she tells Sterling that Javi isn't comfortable with her. Like, she just has her friends too much in her relationship business to a point that it, that. Once again, Kale's in her early 20s. This is definitely a mark of your early 20s. But, like, I, for the most part, shouldn't know at all what my friend's husbands think of me. (laughs) Like, I don't need to know what any of my friend's husbands think of me. Like, we don't have our own relationship. I mean, most of my friends that have husbands, like, I don't have my own relationship with them outside of my friend. Like, I, most of them, I, like, really like them, and they're great, but, like, if they don't like me, like, I don't necessarily need to know that. I don't need to be, like, butting in my opinion about their marriage, because marriages are very serious and private, and, you know, I have, like, very certain friends that I talk about that they come to me for advice on their marriage issues, but, like, that's it, and I give my honest opinion, but not in a way that's, like, I am, like, climbing into their relationship with them, basically. And I think part of this is that Kale and Javi were just too young to be married and didn't understand this because Javi's always talking to his sister about his personal details. And I'm not saying, like, you don't talk to your friends and family about marriages, but I do think that there are certain things that you don't, like, invite other people in on. Um, You maybe go see a therapist. You should maybe pay, pay a therapist. Or you have, like one or two really trusted friends that maybe is a little more outside of your regular life so that they don't have to interact, which I guess Sterling would qualify for. But I I don't know how to sum this up exactly, but I just think that like Sterling is too involved with Javi and Kale. And then Kale has Sterling like too, too involved in like Javi's thoughts on her. And it's just a mess. It's just toxic. But Javi and Kale are truly at their breaking point. Um, oh, this is when we find out that Joe is definitely moving to Delaware and Kale's like, don't be my neighbor. <laughs> She's like, I don't want you as my neighbor. <laughs> so Javi plans for them to have a night out because things have been really bad between them. His sister comes over and she's going to watch the kids and they're going to go into Philly and he got a hotel room and it was going to, I guess they're going to do dinner and have a nice night. And on the way there, Kale like picks a fight. She's like, so do you want Sterling to come to Florida or not? And Javi is doing this thing that Kale finds really annoying and I find really annoying, but I also feel like he was backed into a corner to do because I really don't think there's a right answer for Javi. Um, I think Javi has made it known that he does not like Sterling, that I think Kale's made it known that Sterling does not like Javi. And what I think happened is that Kale's like, so do you want Sterling to come? And Javi basically is like, well, I mean, I'm not really comfortable with her, but if you want her to come, then come. And indecisiveness, I think, is something that really bothers Kale in general. And I think Javi, what she wanted Javi to say was like, yeah, I really want Sterling to come. But she knew Javi wasn't going to say that because Javi and Sterling are not getting along. So why she like set Javi up to give an answer that she knew she was not going to like 
it just shows that she's picking fights. Like, if she had said to Javi, like, yeah, or if Javi had said to Kale, like, yeah, I mean, I would like Sterling to come. I know we've had, like, it's been awkward in the past, but I just really want us all to go and get along. I think she would have been happy, but I think that she was, like, I think she knew what Javi was going to say, and she just wanted him to say it so they could start fighting. And she's like, well, he's like, why are you so mad? Like, I said she could come, and she's like, because you're not comfortable with it. And then she says, I'm going to tell Sterling that you can't come because she's not comfortable with it. And I'm like, or he's not, because you're not comfortable with her. And I'm like, first of all, like, that's kind of rude to Sterling. Like, you don't need to tell Sterling that your husband doesn't like her. Right? Like, does Sterling need to hear that? Is that something that really is, like, going to make Sterling feel good? Kale and Javi are just fighting. They go to a McDonald's drive-thru, and Javi's like, what do you want? And Kale's like, I don't want anything. Actually, I want you to take me home. And he's like, what? And he's like, you just picked a fight, and now you're not excited. And she was like, I was never excited for this. I never wanted to come overnight with you. Like, basically just being like, go fuck yourself. And then Javi starts yelling at her. He's like, you're an asshole. You're an asshole. Fuck you. You're an asshole. I was like, oh, my God. They're fighting so much that Javi runs over something in the road and, like, fucks his car up. And his car has to be towed. (laughs) Oh, my God. Watching this was hard. I, like, kind of forgot in a way how bad it got between Kale and Javi and how much they just hated each other. I think it's interesting because it's so obvious that Kale's, like, completely checked out of this relationship. I think she's already fucking around with Chris at this point is my understanding. You know, she keeps saying that her and Chris have been going back and forth for five years. And I think this falls uh, firmly in that five-year timeline. (laughs) I think Kale is so checked out. She's so over it. She does not want to be with Javi anymore. Like, Kale just doesn't like Javi. I don't think she likes him as a person. I think everything he does annoys her. And Javi is desperate to stay together, but not because he likes Kale. Like, I don't think Javi particularly likes Kale either. I think that Javi wants to stay married because he's, like, kind of image obsessed. And he wa- it's easier for him to be married. I think Javi is a I think if Kale didn't leave Javi, like, they could have stayed together for a long time. I think if Kale was a different type of person, they could have stayed together for a long time because I think Javi is the type of person that just, like, can stuff all his feelings down and keep it moving as long as he has this image of, like, a perfect family that he can present to the world, which is sad. I wonder how Lauren and Javi are doing. (laughs) I still want to know more about his cheating on her. That is so wild. Imagine. You go downstairs in your home after a party to see where your husband is and you find him fucking somebody else in your bathroom. I would have lost my fucking mind. By the way, my Roku, the screensaver has like billboards on it because it's like a cityscape and it keeps showing a billboard advertisement for that fucking Pete Davidson movie. I need to turn off the TV. I don't, I don't want to watch The King of Staten Island. (laughs) I don't want to watch it. Okay, let's talk about Leah, who, this is peak Leah drug addiction. They actually start openly talking about her addiction in this episode. Well, I don't want to say openly. They say the word addiction, or they, like, say pill problem, but Leah is like, yeah, I have things to work on, but still won't admit what's going on, but Leah and Jeremy had a huge fight over money, and he moved out. He is refusing to talk to her. And even in the voiceover, Leah's so high. 
She's like, I have bigger things to worry about than my problems with Corey. Like, she, oh, she's slurring. She calls Jeremy and she's like, we have a bank account with negative $500 and your name is on it. I think implying, like, you better put money in there because it's going to be fucked up for you. And Jeremy's like, I don't give a fuck about that bank account. He's like, this is not my problem anymore. And Leah's like, we need to just start communicating. And Jeremy's like, Leah, you are blowing through money like it's water. Now, if you guys will remember... Leah at this time had what they were calling a spending problem. And we were supposed to believe that Leah was spending thousands and thousands of dollars on Mary Kay makeup and shopping. When in reality, Leah was spending thousands of dollars on pills. I don't know if she's ever admitted that. I mean, I'm sure she was shopping. I'm not saying that Leah, like, wasn't overspending and shopping too. But, like, Leah was not maxing out her credit cards shopping. Leah was maxing out her credit cards getting cash advances. I guarantee it to buy pills. Like, she is so fucking high in this episode. Ooh, it's tough to watch. So Jeremy is like, basically, go fuck yourself. I'm filing filing for divorce. And Jeremy, this is when Leah, Leah goes to talk to her friend. Her friend is over. And she's like, yeah, I do have a spending problem. <laughs> I remember for years on Teen Mom Junkies, my username was Leah's spending problem. And then my icon was like an, a pill. <laughs> Because it was just so crazy that that's what, like, Leah is nodding out on camera and they're talking about her spending problem being the issue of the downfall of her relationship. Yeah, sure. Spending money on drugs. That's a, I, I too had a spending problem (laughs) in that I bought drugs instead of paying bills and doing what I was supposed to be doing. Her friend is like, Jeremy's such a piece of shit. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Leah's like, I do have depression and anxiety. I do, but I just need to get better. Oh, she looks so bad. She's so thin. Her hair is like, her hair looks awful. Just ever like, this is really peak Leah, just like looking awful. And she spends the episode really worried about the divorce. And we get a scene of Jeremy talking to a friend. A friend comes over to his camper. I guess he's at work. And his friend's like, so what's going on? And Leah's like, or Jeremy's like, I'm filing for divorce from Leah. And his friend goes, oh, for real this time? Yikes. (laughs) Things are bad. And he's like, yep, for real. And he said, I came home. The house looked like a homeless shelter and that I had to go out and get my own bank account and make sure my checks were deposited in there because Leah's spending thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars have gone missing. And her friend, his friend is like, what? Like, what is she spending it on? And Jeremy's like, well, I don't know. And then he says, sometimes I think she takes prescription medicines for her anxiety and I don't know, messes with her or what. And it's obvious she has some addiction, addiction issues. So, like, it's so interesting the way that they've always framed this as, like, Leah's prescription medicine. Like, we're always supposed to understand that it came from a doctor, so it's not as bad as, like, God forbid she gets street drugs, even though she was clearly buying the prescription medicines on the street. I think she still likes to frame it that way. I just think it's very interesting people that don't do street drugs in the way that they frame like, oh, well, I'm not like one of those junkies. Like mine can't. I only I only got an addiction because I got a prescription from the doctor. And so that doesn't count. And it makes me better than those other addicts. That's what definitely what Leah was doing. 
So it's a girls weekend with Corey and Leah still can't get a hold of Jeremy and her friend comes over and she's like, today's my anniversary and Jeremy won't talk to me. She says she sent Jeremy a text that said, happy anniversary, Jeremy Lynn. I love you. <laughs> I always laugh when she calls Jeremy, Jeremy Lynn. <laughs> Lynn's a funny middle name for a boy. Like it just, especially Jeremy, it just makes me laugh. And her friend's like, I bet that piece of shit won't text you back. I'm like, do you see how high Leah is right now? I wonder if her friend was using with her. Mm, okay. Okay, now I'm putting some things together in my head. That makes a little more sense. Um, Leah's like, look, I know I could do better. Is my house messy? Yes. Is this bad? Yes. But I'm depressed. I'm depressed. And her friend is like, he should try being a stay-at-home mom to three kids and keeping a clean house. And it's like... I don't think Jeremy is expecting a spotless house. I think that Jeremy has just seen, like, the total degradation of Leah's life from when they first met until now. And, like, isn't quite sure how to deal with it and doesn't want to deal with it. Also, of course, they left out the cheating stuff. And the fact that Leah was actively cheating on Jeremy with Robbie at this point. So, Leah says that after she's had... Addie, she had a lot of issues, which is like, yeah, we know. She goes to meet up with Jeremy to drop Addie off with him for the night, and she just, like, can't even believe they're there. And Jeremy, she's, like, really desperate to talk to Jeremy, and he seems completely uninterested in talking to her. And she's like, Leah says that she has a lot of emotions and disappointment <laughs> about their marriage. And Jeremy's like, okay, so what are you disappointed about? And he says, he's like, Leah, we've been trying to make this work. It didn't work. And this is when Leah's like, well, after I had Addie, I just have so many issues. I just can't get up and go. And Jeremy's like, you're not sleeping. They're talking around the issue, which one, the biggest issue is cheating, which they're not including at all. Um, I see a lot of people like they'll occasionally be Reddit posts where people are like, I just can't believe that Jeremy left Leah in her time of need. Like she was so sick. She needed a partner. And I one, it's I think they did Jeremy a real disservice on including that Leah was a cheater on here. <laughs> Because it really does make it look like Jeremy just hightailed it out of there the minute Leah got bad in her addiction. But also at the same time, like, yes, addiction is a disease, but it's also a disease that has, like, dire consequences on your loved ones. And nobody is obligated to stay with someone that has an addiction, especially if they're not trying to help themselves. It can actually be quite dangerous because there's, you know, if you start using two and you cop an addiction, like... I don't know. I just, I don't think this idea that like Jeremy somehow let Leah down by not staying with her. I can't ascribe to that. Even if there wasn't cheating, I just don't think Jeremy was obligated to be with Leah. Jeremy tells Leah that he just really wants her to get help. He needs her to get help and that she can't love him because she doesn't love herself. And she's like, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. It's the darkest fucking moment. Oh, God. Leah, look, does this make me a bad person to say this? Yeah. But is Leah, like, in drug addiction peak teen mom, too? Of course it is. <laughs> okay, let's wrap this on up with Janelle, who has a great episode with Nathan. Full disclosure, I thought that I was watching the episode, or when I was going through the episodes deciding which one I wanted to do, I saw the one where Nate gets arrested, why am I a guy, that iconic moment in Teen Mom history, or herstory, as we should say, right? 
and I was like, fuck yeah, that's what I want to do. But then I accidentally watched this episode and I forgot this one is just as good because this is when Nate goes on a business trip to Atlanta. But if you'll remember, Nate has no business (laughs) and had no business for quite a while before this happened. (laughs) When Nate and Janelle first met, he was selling timeshares. He was decently successful at it. Actually, I don't know if that's true. Uh, That could have been a total lie. And within like two months of meeting Janelle, he had quit his job, as I have often said, probably by force because Janelle does not allow her significant others to have jobs. Being Janelle's significant other is your full-time job and that's your only option. So Janelle and Nate have been fighting for a while. They were apparently up like the entire night before fighting because Nathan thinks that Janelle is talking to other guys. Remember, Nathan was actually the cheater in their relationship. I mean, it is possible that Janelle cheated on Nate, but Nate definitely was cheating on Janelle, like, all the time. And I think this is definitely a classic case of projection. So Janelle's like, he's like, I caught you talking to other guys. And Janelle's like, what are you talking about? They're actually quite calm in this fight, which is very unnerving to me. So Janelle's like, I haven't talked to anybody. I've been completely faithful. And Nate's like, you're fucked up in your head. (laughs) He's like, why do you think all your relationships have failed? Honestly, the level of cruelty, the level of crutality, how do you say that word? I don't know. How cruel Nate is being to Janelle in this episode is hard to digest. Um, I'm not saying that Janelle was innocent or that Janelle was even a victim of Nate. I think she got it. She gave it as good as she got it, right? Like, I'm not, this is not me, like, hyper defending Janelle. But you guys know that Nate is, like, this person that really grates for whatever reason. He's my person. And that by person, I mean the person I hate the most on Team Mom franchises is Nate. Something about him I just find to be so disgusting And hearing how he talks to Janelle is so upsetting because, I don't know, you just know she internalizes it all in a way that's like, ugh, no wonder, no wonder she deals with David because look at what she, like, was willing to deal with Nate. And the only reason her and Nate broke up is because Nate, like, finally was like, I'm not going to be with you. I have a new girlfriend. I don't want to be with you. Like, Janelle just lets these guys say anything to her and I think because she believes it and, well, some of it's true probably, but he just, like, how comfortable he is just calling her a piece of shit is it's tough it's tough to watch and just how not upset she like she's not even that upset because you know that this is how they talk to each other all the time so nate's basically like all your relationships failed because you're a sociopath and janelle's like no my relationships failed because i left them you can go ask gary he says i was the best girlfriend he ever had remember this is gary head who ended up being arrested for choking Janelle with a bed sheet um when he got arrested they found drugs in the apartment so he lost his military career look everybody always says that uh Gary Janelle got Gary kicked out of the military but Gary was doing drugs while in the Marines um he and Janelle were doing a lot of drugs and he was staying at Janelle's house that had a lot of drugs at it um maybe he didn't really hit Janelle and he just took the plea deal because that's what the lawyers advised him to But even if it was like a false domestic violence accusation, which I don't necessarily believe because Gary Head was unhinged, uh, he still made the choice while in the Marines to be dating an active drug addict and partaking in drugs with her and staying at her home that had a lot of drugs in it. 
So he was asking to get in trouble or kicked out of the military anyway. That's not Chanel's fault. Like, he's responsible for that own behavior and for putting himself in such a volatile relationship that neighbors were calling the police while they were fighting. Like, he just put himself in a lot of bad situations, and that's why he got kicked out of the military. But I personally believe he really was hitting Chanel because he used to smash her phone all the time. He would punch holes in the walls. So why wouldn't he hit her? I, I'm a big believer in that, that if you're with someone who is destroying your property regularly or their property too, um, a physical hit or push or kick or whatever is just not that far behind. If somebody is has that level of aggression, like there's a very good chance that it's just going to keep escalating. There is. Like if someone is willing to take your phone and smash their phone, your phone, the next time when they're even more mad, why wouldn't they go for you? And of course, I'm, there are some exceptions to this rule. There are some people that punch holes in walls and smash phones and never, ever touch another person. Uh, I just personally think that it is a, not me personally, it is. <laughs> I'm like, well, I personally think, like, there isn't, like, millions of academic research on this, that it is a precursor to violence when somebody is willing to, because it shows a level of physical aggression. And I am a big believer in um, escalation and that uh, toxic relationships escalate over time. They very rarely de-escalate. And the only way that you can really de-escalate, like the only way that that can get better is that if the person that uh, is physically angry is able to do enough work on themselves that they no longer have to get to that level of physical rage. And I personally believe that it's very hard to be in a relationship and do that work and have that relationship benefit from it. Um, I often think, and you'll read about this, like, or you hear about, hear about this where, you know, a couple, like, one of the people, one of the partners is, like, so fucked up and they do all this work on themselves and then the relationship ends and, like, the next partner is the one to kind of benefit from that work. And I laugh because it just, like, it feels so shitty when that happens and I definitely, like, it's like, it's like a pity laugh, like, oh, that fucking sucks. But I just think the reality is, is that... People can and do change. I just think it's very hard to change when you're already in the patterns of a toxic slash uh, like emotionally, psychologically abusive relationship. And I think especially if you are the one that is the abuser and you are the physically aggressive one and you are the one that that takes it to that level, um, I think it's very hard to do the work necessary on yourself while being with the person that you've already um, escalated fights to that level. I think because like you, the two of you have already established patterns and to work on yourself and to break those patterns, I think is very, very hard. I think it's possible and I'm sure people have done it. And I think it's beautiful and amazing and incredible when it, it works. But I do think the reality is, is once a relationship like gets to a level, it's very hard to come back from. It's very, very hard to come back from. How did I get here from Gary Head? Truly no idea. I saw someone suggest I should call a podcast, How Did I Get Here? <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> it's a good name. So they have this huge fight. And as I said, Nate is, oh, so Janelle's like, Gary says I'm his best girlfriend ever. And Nate is like, go fuck yourself, Janelle. He's like, you have problems. You have problems. And Janelle goes, oh, I have problems. And Nate's like, I've been to war and I know you have problems, which is a really weird line. (laughs) 
It's a really weird line to say because Janelle, it's like Janelle's perfect opportunity to pounce because she's like, dude, you have problems because you've been to war. You need to go to counseling. And he's like, oh, I have problems. And she goes, yeah, you do. And then she looks, he's drinking, of course. And she's like, come on, buddy, go drink some more. She's like, you're almost finished it. You're a champ. The level of calmness that had, ooh, chilling, so chilling. And this is when Nate delivers the famous line of, you're fucking trailer trash who hit the lottery. End of story. You're nobody special. You're just stupid, dude. You're just stupid. You're not even on the same caliber as I am. Oh, goodness gracious. There's so much to unpack there. One, you're just trailer trash who hit the lottery. I mean, that's not incorrect, right? Like, but the idea that Nate isn't also just trailer trash to hit the lottery is what makes this like, okay. The idea that Nate is in any way better than Janelle is haha funny. Oh, by the way, so Nate is with the kids this weekend. You know, he like sees his kids every third weekend or whatever. And Ashley's girlfriend like posted a picture with Emerson, his daughter, and is like, my oldest baby. And I'm like, she's not your baby. You spend like eight weeks, eight days a year with her eight weekends a year with her like what are you talking about oh god that Ashley remember when Nate was tweeting that Ashley won't fuck him and that she said no to his proposals three times imagine your boyfriend posting that and then you still post things about how happy you are on social media Whew, that's embarrassing okay so when Nate says you're a trailer trash that just won the lottery I mean Sure, I love that it's an early fourth wall break, right? (laughs) Because remember, the fourth wall is not broken yet in these episodes, but he's acknowledging the show. That's what the lottery is. Uh, When he calls her stupid and says that she's not on the same caliber as he is, I'm like, Nate, I think Janelle is exactly on your caliber. (laughs) This is when Janelle is like, leave me alone. Janelle is like, leave me alone, leave me alone. Not her like panicked, leave me alone, just like, leave me alone. And then Nate starts to mock her and is like, leave me alone. Leave me alone. He's like, you're like a little baby. Whew. Ugh. So after this fight, Janelle lets us know that Nate's been acting really strange. And she says the funniest fucking voiceover. She says, he drove to Atlanta for a last minute business trip about opening a gym, which is weird because I've never heard him mention anything about a gym before. <laughs> I'm so glad that this show acknowledged, like, how weird it was that Nate was going on a business trip because I, as an audience member, was like, what? (laughs) Well, I remember watching this and thinking, why would Nate go on a business trip? Like, he doesn't have a business. (laughs) So good. So Janelle's with her friend Krista, I think her name is. This was a very short-term friend. I do remember her being around. I think there was mostly short-term friend because she lived in Myrtle Beach. And once Janelle didn't live in Myrtle Beach anymore, I don't think they stayed friends. I mean, I'm sure they had a dramatic falling out because this is Janelle. But I think they were friends when Janelle lived in Myrtle Beach. She might have been their landlord in Myrtle Beach. And I also think for a while she was watching Kaiser. I think she used to babysit Kaiser a lot when they lived in Myrtle Beach. That, like, is a vague memory poking around in my brain. So she's going to get Jace, who she hasn't seen in a while because her and Barbara are fighting. This is when Janelle had decided she was going to fight for custody and was telling Barbara, once I get custody, you'll never see Jace again. Just that classic Janelle bullshit. So they go and get Jace and take him to Sky Zone. Remember, at this point, Janelle is living, I think, 
almost two hours away from Jace. Wilmington and I think Myrtle Beach are over an hour. I think between an hour and two hours, somewhere in there. And they go and get Jace. And as soon as Jace is, well, Barbara's like, Janelle, we need to talk when when uh, Jace isn't around because I don't know what's going on with you and that other guy. <laughs> At first, I was like, who is she talking about? And then I realized she was talking about Nate. <laughs> It's such a funny thing to call Nate that other guy. <laughs> oh, God. So as soon as Jace gets in the car, <laughs> Janelle goes, do you still want to live with us, buddy, and take karate lessons? I'm like, oh, Janelle's so fucked up. Janelle is such a shitty mom in person. And look, I know. Newsflash. Hey, guys, I have something important to tell you. I have something really crazy that I want to say, and it's a really controversial hot take. And I'm not sure if you'll all agree with me or not. But I think Janelle's a bad mom. <laughs> no, the hottest take to ever exist. But you watch these episodes where she's just like, Jace, aren't you excited to come live with us and never talk to Maymay again? It's like, <laughs> don't say that to your six-year-old, you bitch. Oy. They take Nate, or they take Jace to Sky Zone or whatever the Wilmington version of that is. And, I mean, it looks fun. Trampoline parks are so tiring. <laughs> and once again, she's talking about Nate's business trip and tells Krista that he says it's a business trip and that's why I find it so shady. <laughs> Apparently Nate is doing this thing recently where he's acting like they're together and then they're not. I think this is, they break up very soon after this and I think this is when he had started seeing Jessica. And that's what's going on. But they take Nate home. They go back to Janelle's in Myrtle Beach. And they're talking about, like, Nate being weird and shady. So Janelle's like, you know, all last night, his, he said was his phone was dead. And then I asked him for the hotel name or, like, where the hotel was in Atlanta. And he wouldn't give me the address of the hotel. She's like, he didn't know what street it was on. Which is very weird, because if you're staying at a hotel, you usually don't know what street it is. You're like, I'm staying at the Marriott in East... I don't know anything about Atlanta. But, like, I'm staying at the the Marriott in, like, downtown Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like, you usually have an idea of, like, where the hotel is generally, and that could easily be tracked via Google. So, Janelle knows some bullshit is up, and she's like, I'm just getting anxiety thinking about it. She's asked him if there's somebody else, and he says there's not, but she's really worried there is, and this is, I mean, once again, you can understand why Janelle got with Nathan, or with David, because she's talking about how once Nate leaves her, like, she's never going to be able to find a guy that will accept her because she has two, like, two kids by two dads, and basically the only reason she wants to stay with Nate is because she doesn't want to have to find a new boyfriend. (laughs) It's so, like... (laughs) That really is the only... She doesn't seem to like Nate very much at all. She's just like, well, how am I going to find, you know, a boyfriend when I have two kids by two dads? <laughs> oh, Janelle, don't worry. Your knight in shining armor is right around the corner. <laughs> it's crazy to think she's with David within like six months of this episode. So Nate texts her and it's like, I'm about to get the ho- to the hotel again. I'll call you when I get there. And they're like, oh, oh, like speak of the devil type of thing. And then all of a sudden the door opens and they're like, what? And Nate walks in the door and he's like smiling and acting weird. And Janelle's like, what are you 
doing here? Like she, Janelle and Krista are so confused. This is such a genuine moment that I feel like is so rare on Teen Mom that Janelle is so caught off guard. Her friend is so caught off guard. And Nate's just like, I've been at home. And Janelle's like, what? And Nate's like, I, I've been at home. And Janelle's like, so you never went on a business trip? And he's like, no, no, I did. I just came home early. And Janelle's like, but how did you get home so quickly? And he's like, oh, I've been back. And she's like, but what do you mean? Like, when did you get back? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I got back at like six or seven or eight or nine. I don't know what time it is when this is happening. They should have given us a timestamp. But Janelle's like, what? Like, you can, Janelle and Chris are both like, what? And then Janelle's like, but how did you drive back so quick? And he's like, oh, it only takes three hours. And Chris is like, what? No. She's like, it takes over five hours to get from Georgia to here. I Googled it. It's five and a half hours. And Nate's like, yeah, I said it's like three or four or five hours. Like, Google it. Look it up. <laughs> and Chris is like, Chris and Janelle, like the, the genuine looks of shock and confusion on their face are honestly chef kiss perfect you should go watch this episode if only for this utterly confusing scene of a nate of nate arriving home and janelle's like so what did you do last night i'm like oh we're already moving past this (laughs) he's like i told you i told you my phone was broken and janelle's like okay so like how did the business trip go and he's like laughing he's so he's so drunk it's so weird and he's like, well, you know, it went good, but, like, I got to wait for phone calls. And Janelle's like, oh, okay. She's like, but, like, did it, like, do you think it went well? And Nate's like, it's always a waiting game. It's always a waiting game. I don't know. And then he, like, walks out of the room to go get a drink. And Janelle turns to Krista and she's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And Krista's like, what just happened? You know, Krista's like, truly, what just happened? <laughs> She's like a murderer just walked into the house, basically. And Janelle's like, he's too hyped. And why is he so hyped? I think hyped, I wonder if they're, she's saying like he's coked up because hyped is a weird word. But yeah, he was coked up or hyped. So it's the next day and Janelle is like, well, I'm going out tonight. And I wrote in my notes like, Janelle's getting back in Nate by going out. And then the next line that comes up on the TV is, Janelle or Nate being like you're just going out because you want revenge (laughs) Janelle's like well you just went out for two whole days and I had to take care of that child for two days so I'm going out tonight and she's like you've been doing God knows what with God knows who (laughs) and this is ooh, Nate unleashes on her he's like you need to stop being a victim he's like you're such a fucking bitch he's like I want my ring back and Janelle goes no it was a gift it's very weird how calm Janelle is this entire episode. She has a calm presence that's unnerving because it's so not her natural. Ugh. Um, Nate is screaming at her that she's a bitch. I don't want to be with you. You're a sociopath. And he's like, I just want you to give me my ring back. And Janelle's last line of the episode goes, don't worry. I'll take it off before going out tonight. <laughs> Nate? Honestly, Nate scares me the most because I really think he'll be the one to murder someone. I know the obvious choice is David, but I think Nate will murder someone. I wonder what's going on with his DUI. Hmm. I should check in on that. I don't really know how to check in on that, you know, but like I should ask somebody to check in on that for me is what I'm saying. 
All right, guys. I hope everybody has a good week. I will be here next week, but I think I'm going to take 4th of July weekend off. How does that sound to you? I was going to say I haven't taken a weekend off in a long time, which is not true because I had that lost episode, which was really devastating. But I haven't taken a planned weekend off in a long time. So I am going to do that. But anyway, I'll be here next week. Kisses. Love you guys. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.